0: Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table. and It really comes from this vision that God's given us. That Restore will be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. All right, we're going to begin this morning with a little game. And uh, oh, preemptively laughing about the game. I get it. Uh, that game, this game requires some audience participation. Okay, so it means you're going to have to say things out. Now, we actually played a version of this game years ago on a Sunday morning. You may recognize it. It's called word association, word association. It's basically when someone says a word and then you yell out the first word that pops into your head. So if we're playing and I said ice, you might say cream or cold or storm after last February, Um, what we all went through. So give me a head nod. You know what I'm talking about. Feel good about it? Okay. So let's play. Let's keep the answers as PG as possible. Um, But let's shout them out. Okay, here we go. First one. School. No, we said sucks. That's great. Okay, proud of y'all. We're doing good so far. Bus, kids, those are some good ones. Okay, next. Church. Oh, that was good. Nice. Okay, Jesus. Nice, that was universal there. Bacon, good. 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 <laughs> same, same. Yep. Salt, pepper. pepper. That's an easy one. Life, okay. Yeah. Heaven. Hell. Oh, you're like, oh, so I, am I supposed to say hell? Uh, he said PG. It's okay if you're saying it about the, you know, the thing, not like in anger. Those are the difference to FYI. So, like y'all, if I asked most people the word pairing for heaven, they would say hell, right? That's just the, the, the vast majority of us. It's, it's as easy as like salt and pepper, bacon and eggs, all of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm bacon and good, but I get it, right? Heaven and hell is kind of the, the natural pairing. But did you know that not one single time in the Bible do the words heaven and hell appear next to each other? Not one time. In fact, they don't even appear in the same sentence together in the entirety of Scripture. Because in the Bible, hell is not the opposite of heaven. Earth is the opposite of heaven, which I think I heard an earth over here, so nice work. Earth is the opposite of heaven. Now, while heaven and hell are literally never joined together in Scripture, heaven and earth appear in the same sentence 195 times in Scripture. And even though most of us wouldn't initially pair these words together, heaven and earth are basically what the entire story of the Bible centers around. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, if you never checked out the Bible Project, please do, BibleProject.com, incredible resource. He says it like this, The union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about, how they were once fully united, then driven apart, and then about how God is bringing them back together again. Now, one of those 195 pairings of heaven and earth is found in the section of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be looking at this morning in just a moment. So if you remember, last week we started a new teaching series called Part of the Family. And over the next few weeks, we are going to use the Lord's Prayer, kind of focus in on the Lord's Prayer as a guide for what it means to be a part of God's family. Now, whether you have much church background or not, chances are you've heard the Lord's Prayer. You may even know it by heart. It starts out with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and then keeps going. This prayer is something that has transcended church culture and moved into popular culture. For example, back before clocks were widely available, the Lord's Prayer was actually used by cooks to time their recipes. Did you know that? One old cookbook I found has an instruction that reads, quote, simmer the broth for three Lord's Prayers. Isn't that awesome? Another example, I I grew up here in Austin. I played football at public schools from 7th through 12th grade. And every single game in the locker room before the game, we said the Lord's Prayer together. But the Lord's Prayer is so much more than a cook timer or a pregame ritual. It's also more than a script for how we are supposed to pray as individual Christians. The Lord's Prayer is a spiritual formation tool, a communal practice for the family of God as we pursue Jesus' calling together. If you get nothing else from this series, please get that. That is the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. That's why he, Jesus gave us the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. A few weeks ago, I talked about how the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution for God's family, meant to guide us Meant to instruct us on how we are supposed to live and move in the world. That, that is the purpose of the whole Sermon on the Mount, including the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we looked at the opening stanza, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked about how Christianity is a communal faith. Meant to be lived alongside one another. And that the church is a radically diverse and inclusive family of siblings underneath the leadership of God. And this morning, we're going to look at the next section. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I said a moment ago, this is one of those heaven and earth pairings we see throughout the Bible. Now, considering the fact that heaven and hell are paired together zero times, while heaven and earth are paired together almost 200 times, why are Christians so quick to associate heaven with hell? No, I think it's because we have a really unbiblical understanding of heaven, of what it is and what's it about. Because the vast majority of people believe that heaven has to do with where you go when you die. My guess is that most of us believe some version of that, or have at least heard that popularized. But again, what if I told you that among the over 600 mentions of heaven in the Bible, not once is it talking about somewhere people go right after they die. Not one time. Only three biblical passages actually talk about what happens to humans right after they die, and none of them use the word heaven. So, what, and when it comes to the kind of typical 21st century understanding of heaven, most of us have come up with kind of our own definition based on popular fiction and movies and parts of the Bible that are actually talking about the new heaven and new earth, which is kind of the culmination of everything, which we'll talk more about in just a second when Jesus comes back. Now, we don't have time this morning to dive deeply into kind of all the questions of afterlife, but I would be happy to chat with you sometime about it or point you to some great resources. Because today we are focusing on the fact that, that the biblical picture of heaven is actually so much better than any fictional creation that we've come up with. Because the story of the Bible isn't about us going to heaven, it's about heaven coming to earth. I'll say that again. The story of the Bible is not about us going to heaven, it is about God bringing heaven to earth, or more accurately, back. You see, God isn't abandoning the earth. He's bringing his kingdom into it. He isn't going to destroy the world. He's going to restore it. So let me show you what I mean. Throughout the Bible, the word heaven is used to describe God's space, and the earth is used to describe our space. Okay? Heaven is God's space. Earth is our space. Heaven is where God is. Earth is where we are. At the beginning of the biblical story, the two spaces are fully united this is what it looked like. Heaven and earth, one place. In the creation story found in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the space called the Garden of Eden. And Eden was a place where God and humanity dwelt together as one. Scripture says that Adam and Eve and God even walked and talked together in the garden. In the beginning, you see God's space and our space were completely unified, heaven on earth. That's what it was. And in this unified space, humanity led alongside God, cultivating and caring for the garden. That's the task that God gave Adam and Eve, and he only gave them one rule. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now the tree here, it represents God giving humanity a choice. Continue leading alongside him, doing it his way, or go our own way, do things ourselves. It's God asking humanity to trust him, believe him, to believe that he knows what's best for them, but not forcing them to do so. Now, most folks know what happens next in the story influenced by evil embodied in the talking snake, Adam and Eve decide to ignore the instructions of God, and they go ahead and eat from the tree. And when they do so, they are telling God in no uncertain terms, they want their own domain. They want to lead by themselves and on their own terms. And as he so often does with us, God allows Adam and Eve to go their own way, to have what it is that they want. He gives them domain over their own space. Genesis three twenty three says this, so the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden. He sent them out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And just like that, God's space and our space are driven apart. Heaven on earth is now heaven and earth, completely separated. And without God in our space, the earth quickly descends into violence and chaos. Murder and oppression and war become commonplace in this new earth that God is absent from. And after heaven and earth are separated, the Bible begins giving us distinctive characteristics of these two spaces. It calls heaven a place that's filled with justice and mercy and goodness and beauty. And it calls earth a place that's filled with sin and injustice and pain and evil. And soon in the story, we're introduced to this vile city called Babylon and the Tower of Babel. And this city is so corrupt and so violent that it's actually used as a representation of evil empires throughout the biblical story. And in Genesis 11, their mission is to build this city with this huge tower in it. Verse 4, Genesis 11. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Where do they want the tower to go? Into the heavens. They are attempting to invade God's space. So God confuses the language of the Babylonians. They never finish their tower. Because the only way we can be with God is if he brings his space to us. The only way that we can be with God is if he brings his space to us. But here's the miraculous thing about God and his love. Even after Adam and Eve choose to go their own way, even after Cain murders Abel, even after Babylon tries to build their tower, God isn't finished with humanity. Even after we chose to drove heaven and earth apart, God enacts a plan to bring them back together again. Immediately after the Tower of Babel, we're introduced to a man named Abraham. God is beginning his plan to reunite heaven and earth, and he's going to use Abraham and his family to do it. Here's what God tells him. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen, all the peoples on earth, all the peoples on earth in your space will be blessed through you. So God makes something called a covenant with Abraham. God promises to bless his offspring so that all humanity will then be blessed through him. Think about it like this. He is restoring his relationship with Abraham's family so he can begin restoring his relationship with every family in the world. Or to put it another way, God is allowing his space and Abraham's space to overlap just a little bit so that Abraham can experience the goodness of heaven, and begin sharing that experience with the whole world. Abraham's family eventually becomes the nation of Israel. And the blessing they were supposed to bring to the earth were characteristics of God's space. They were tasked with bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. Justice, generosity, mercy, and grace. We see these characteristics all over the law that God gives to Israel through Moses. Little bits of heaven on earth. Now, God continues renewing this covenant with Abraham, his son Isaac, and then his grandson Jacob. And I want to quickly show you what his covenant with Jacob was like, because it's going to be really important in just a minute. So in Genesis 28, God appears to Jacob in a dream. It says, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north and to the south. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring." So in addition to renewing the covenant that he made with Abraham, now with Jacob, we see this beautiful picture of the overlap, right, between heaven and earth right here. Jacob sees a literal picture of it, this stairway connecting heaven and earth. God is reminding Jacob through their covenant that heaven and earth are being brought together. Now, I want you to remember the stairway, okay, connecting heaven and earth, because it's going to be super cool in just a second. So God makes covenants like this with with Moses and David and the people of Israel as a whole. And he is slowly but surely reuniting his space and our space. But there's one big problem. Humanity breaks every single one of these covenants. Every single one of them. God just keeps making new covenants and we keep breaking them. But just when it feels like God is completely finished with humanity, he takes this reunification plan to the next level. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, God's prophets had been predicting that he would send a Savior. At different points, the people thought it might be Abraham or Moses or David, but but all those guys fell short. But then, in the very first sentence of the New Testament, we are introduced to this long-awaited Savior. Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. The first words of the New Testament identify Jesus as Messiah, which means Savior, and as a descendant of Abraham. Now, this is vitally important for a couple of reasons. The first one is obvious, right? Jesus is this long-predicted Savior from God. But the second one is just as important. Jesus is from the line of Abraham. He is the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to bless the whole world through Abraham's family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants were never able to keep their side of the covenant, just as we are never able to do enough to keep all the rules. They continually went their own way. We continually go our own way because ultimately we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. But Jesus was changing all that because Jesus wasn't just a great man sent by God. Jesus was God himself. He was God in the flesh. John, Jesus' best friend, opened his account of Jesus' life by saying it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, John is using the Word as this kind of nickname for Jesus here. And he does that to emphasize that Jesus is God. Jesus is what God is like, the fullest expression of God's character. And from the very beginning of his life and ministry, Jesus was clear that he had come to bring heaven to earth. Just a few verses later, John is telling the story of Jesus recruiting his first disciples, this kind of band of, of misfits that ended up going everywhere with Jesus. And at the end of the story... Jesus is talking to these new recruits, these new disciples, and he says this. Very truly, I tell you, you will see, quote, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's cool, right? You recognize the words of Jesus? He's quoting from Genesis 28. God's covenant with Jacob. Look at him side by side. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's the same language that Jacob had, the same thing that he saw. Jesus is saying, I am the stairway. He is the forever connection between God's space and our space. Jesus is bringing heaven and earth back together. See, Jesus left heaven and came to earth so that he could bring heaven to earth to create an overlap that would never be broken, no matter how many times we went our own way, no matter how many times we messed up. And Jesus spends his life on earth helping people experience these little bits of heaven, forgiving sins, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, setting the oppressed free, welcoming the stranger, and loving anyone and everyone he encounters. And he also spends his time talking about the kingdom of God. He tells story after story about what God's space is really like. He makes the declaration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then during the most important three days in human history, God on the flesh, Jesus dies on the cross, is buried, and then overcomes death and is resurrected to new life. And after he rises from the dead, he appears to his followers and he says this, You will receive power. My Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then just a few days later, the Holy Spirit comes and the first church is born. And here's one of the most incredible parts of all of this. As God indwells every believer through the Holy Spirit, he makes us into little overlaps between heaven and earth. Isn't that amazing? God is using us, calling us, tasking us with bringing more and more of heaven to earth. Listen, if you miss everything else I've said this morning, please don't miss this. Being a Christian isn't about going to heaven when you die. It's about being used by God to bring heaven to earth here and now, and forever. That's what it's about. God isn't abandoning the world. He's restoring it. And he's given us a window through which to see what this fully restored place will ultimately look like. It's called the new heaven and new earth. It's where God's space and our space ultimately fully reconnect and become one space again. So what will this new heaven and new earth be like? Scripture tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Full restoration. All sin and injustice and pain and evil are gone forever. God's space and our space fully unified once again. God's home is among his people. He will live with them. This is our ultimate hope. It's our promised future, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know that was a lot of information. We just walked through the entire story of Scripture in about 20 minutes. But doesn't it make the words of Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer, like, come alive for us? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we talked about the implications of that that first line, our father, right? That's our identity. We are a family. But those next lines, they give us our mission, our purpose. We are to be used by God as he brings more and more of his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. His followers and the church took this identity and mission very seriously. With this prayer... Constantly on their lips, they poured out their lives, bringing heaven to earth. All those characteristics of heaven I mentioned earlier, justice and mercy, goodness and beauty, they filled the corners of the earth with them. They they went everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Just like Jesus, they, they healed the sick, they fed the hungry, they set the oppressed free. They welcomed the stranger, they loved their neighbors as themselves, and they pointed everyone to the one who could forgive their sins and give them fullness of life. This is the role of the church in the world. This is our job, to be used by God to bring more and more of heaven to earth. One person, one family, one neighborhood, one city at a time. Not someday not after we die. Jesus says, your kingdom come right now. Jesus's emphasis on God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven would not have surprised people listening to him that day. He talked about it so often, in fact, that one time the religious leaders asked him, when exactly is this kingdom of heaven going to arrive? And here's what he said, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. So Jesus says that the kingdom of God is already among us, but he also says that we are to pray for more and more of it to come and to participate in bringing it from heaven to earth. So how do those two things work together? Well, because the kingdom of God is something called already and not yet. It is already and not yet. It's already here through the work of Jesus and his people, but it's not yet fully realized as it will be on the new heaven and new earth. And just like the thousands of years of Christians that have come before us, we exist in this duality, this place where we see beauty and goodness and justice and mercy, but we also see all of its opposites around us, right? Our hope is in that full restoration that comes when Jesus returns. That's our hope. But our purpose, our mission, is to be awakening little pieces of heaven on earth right here and right now. So this is where we live now. This role that we have that's been passed down to us, we are called to be used by God to bring more and more of heaven to earth. Like I said, one person, one family, one neighborhood, one city at a time. It wasn't just the job of the first church. It's our job too. And that's why the, the popular Christian sentiments of like, it's all going to burn anyway, and this world isn't our home, and th- those are so backwards and, and dangerous to me. They make it seem like the job of the Christian is just to get off of earth and into heaven as quickly as possible, and then just try to get some people to go with you if you can. That's not true. And it leads people to believe that our lives here don't really matter. And it leads people to believe that issues of oppression and marginalization and injustice aren't essential to the way of Jesus, but they absolutely are. Because when Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, release me from this earth and let me enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this must be our prayer too. Y'all, our lives are too short and too important to waste just waiting for heaven. God wants to use us to bring heaven to earth right here and right now. I love the way that Nate Pyle says it. He says, the goal, the Christian goal is not to escape earth, but to see heaven invade earth. Our hope is not to live a fleshless eternity, but to see our flesh redeemed and restored. And this is why justice matters. Justice matters. Beauty and mercy and goodness matter because this world hasn't just been written off by God. It isn't all just going to burn. He is healing and restoring it one person at a time. And he wants to use us to do it. He wants to use us to be a part of it. Being used by God to bring little pieces of heaven to earth is the central mission of the church. I was on Twitter last week and somebody had asked this question. If Jesus had... Uh, like a political statement, like a a one-sentence political platform, what would it be? And somebody said, on earth as it is in heaven. I was like, yes. That is it. That was the whole thing. To bring heaven to earth the way that it once was, the way that it was always designed to be. This is our job. This is a core part of what it means to be part of the family, okay? We have to understand our identity as brothers and sisters, but we also have to understand our purpose, our mission. Because it's about more than just coming together on Sundays and and, in groups and stuff like that. Those things are beautiful and they're important. That's why we talk about them all the time. But there's more to it than that. It's about seeking out the broken parts of our world, and being used by God as he redeems and restores them. It's about bringing little pieces of heaven to every corner of the earth that God has placed us in. And the Lord's Prayer is this communal practice meant to remind us of those things, to remind us of who we are and what we're called to be doing. So this morning, we're going to conclude our teaching time by just saying the first portion of the Lord's Prayer together, okay? We're just going to say it. The words will be on the screen, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God. I pray that we would never, ever hear those words again without a deep stirring happening in our hearts and souls. That you would never allow your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to just roll off of our lips as this rote recitation. That it would be our purpose statement, our mission, that we would understand the significance of the role to which you've called us that we have been tasked with being used by you to bring little pieces of heaven to earth. That the goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven when we die. It's to spend our entire lives bringing heaven to earth. God, empower us to do that. Allow us to lean on you to do that. Now we love you thank you. And we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.